Thank you so much, guys. Good morning and welcome to Woodland today. I am so glad that you're here today. And, um, you know, we're experiencing another upsurge of COVID in Wayne County. And I just want to assure you, watching online and those of you who are here today as well, we're doing everything and even more than they ask us to do to sanitize in between each service and before you get here. And uh, so that your children are safe and you're safe. And we're just delighted you've joined with us this morning. And uh, I am so sad to see Pastor Rick leaving and going to Texas. We're going to miss you, buddy. And you don't want to miss next Sunday. It's going to be Pastor Rick and Norma Sutherland Day. We're going to... um, be preaching together next Sunday morning, and I asked him if he was going to turn into a Dallas Cowboys fan when he went to Texas, and he assured me no. He was a missionary to Texas, so we're sending him down there as a missionary and going to the great state of Texas to be close to his grandchildren, and we're going to miss them so much. So you want to be sure and be here next week. Today, I want to wrap up the series I've been in called Loved and Forgiven. And we've talked about all of the wonderful things about God's forgiveness, but I want to deal with, at the closing message of this, I want to deal with a different sort of topic, and that's how you and I accept and we embrace what Christ has already done for us at Calvary. And what I want to do is I want to use the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, I'm sure those of you that are here know, but maybe some of you are watching online, you don't know the story of Joseph. It's one of the longest narratives in the Bible. And I would encourage you to go to the book of Genesis and read it because Joseph, there's a type of theology, well, there's a study of theology called typology. And Joseph stands out as the preeminent Old Testament example of who Jesus Christ was and what he did for us. And so we're going to look at one of the stories at the conclusion of the narrative of Joseph's life to help us understand how we've been forgiven. For those of you who don't know the story, let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. Joseph, when he was a teenager, was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. He was, um, he was sent probably walking behind camels uh, to the type of traders, the Midianite traders that he was sold to. His wrists would have been bound. And he would have walked across the deserts of what we know as the Sinai all the way to modern-day Egypt. And there he was sold as a slave. His brothers went home. He had 11 brothers. Now, before you think, well, that's just a lot of brothers. My father came from a family of 21 children. So people used to have large families back in those days. And so my dad came from a large family. Joseph's brothers had all turned upon him. They sold him into slavery told his brokenhearted father that a wild beast had killed him. And so his father was brokenhearted. There was no body. There was nothing to be found. And so Joseph, unknown to his father, was still alive. His brothers knew what they had done. They'd sold him into slavery. There he was purchased by a man named Potiphar, a wealthy man, a powerful man of influence. And there in Potiphar's household, Joseph excelled, and because God was with Joseph, you say, wow, God was with Joseph, and he's a slave. I don't know if I want anything to do with God. You don't want life in this world without God, because all of us go through trials and struggles sometimes, but God was with Joseph, and, and Potiphar's household prospered so much that Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. Think of a, a back in the 1800s and of a plantation in America. Joseph was put in charge of the whole plantation, so to speak. 
Then Potiphar's wife lied about Joseph. Joseph was betrayed. He was put into prison. You'd think this young man would become bitter by now. He's betrayed by his brothers. Now he's sold again as a slave after being betrayed by his master's wife, and he's done nothing but good for them. And there in prison, he, God is with him again, and the, prisoner has not, the prison keeper has nothing to worry about because God was with Joseph, and he soon put Joseph in charge of the whole prison. I can't imagine a jailer today putting a prisoner in charge of the prison, but that's what happened with Joseph because God was with him. And while he was there, he helped a friend of his by interpreting his dream. He says, please remember me because the friend worked for Pharaoh. He says, please remember me when you come before Pharaoh. But the friend promptly forgot him. And all of us have probably have some stories in our life of when a friend that we helped forgot what we had done for them, someone that we had been there for them in a time of crisis. And in our time of crisis, they forgot about us. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I've heard these stories so many times as I've walked with people through almost 50 years of ministry now of people who've helped others only to find themselves not helped by someone else. And so Joseph would have felt betrayed again, but still God was with him, and eventually he ended up before Pharaoh. He was the second man in charge to Pharaoh. Everybody in Egypt had to bow. It's a fascinating story. You won't find a story like it in your fairy tales. You won't find a story like it in the Aesop fables. You won't find a story like it anywhere. You need to read the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Every knee would bow before Joseph when he was, went through town because he was the man that Pharaoh exalted to be second in charge because God was with him. And Joseph, all of his life, he kept giving the glory to God. He didn't get bitter. He got better. He didn't get bitter. He got better. Well, as it would have, as God would have it, Joseph's brothers ended up appearing before him because there was a famine throughout the land that Joseph had prepared Egypt for. And because of that, all of the known world, we're talking about from Ethiopia to Sudan, from Carthage, all over, they would have been coming to Egypt to get food. And so Jacob sent his 11 sons and sovereignly, this, this just wouldn't happen. This would be like me ending up before the president of the United States or the vice president of the United States. Sovereignly, these Hebrews ended up before their brother and they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And have you ever had that occasion where you saw somebody that hurt you? And maybe inside of you there was some feelings of bitterness or anger or hurt. Well, Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And he ended up helping them out. He ended up sending them back home and said, before you come back, you need to bring your baby brother with you. They still didn't know who he was. They ended up bringing their baby brother back with them. And finally, Joseph reveals himself to him with the most poignant statement. He tells him, I'm your brother, come close to me. And that is a story of God's love saying to you and I in our sins, come close to me. His brothers had not yet asked Joseph to forgive him, but Joseph invited them long before that exchange took place into his presence. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. I want to pick up ahead now because it ends up that the whole family has a reunion in Egypt. Jacob and all of his sons move to Egypt. They're favored by the Egyptians. They're favored by Pharaoh. 
And Jacob dies. That's Joseph and his brother's daddy. Jacob dies, and now the boys don't realize just how much they've been forgiven. So this is where we pick up the story. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. Now, Jacob hadn't done any such thing, okay? So they're fearful. They're telling this lie. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God your father, beg you, forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And then his brothers came And they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, he said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for all good. Would you say that with me? God intended it for all good. He hadn't got bitter. He got better. God intended it for all good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Let's pray together. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for this wonderful story of Jesus that helps me to realize how truly forgiven I really am, how you have washed away my sins, my guilt, my shame by the blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And so I ask you this morning that we would come to a fresh appreciation of grace, and we'd also, Lord, come to a fresh appreciation of just how powerful the good news of Jesus Christ really is to our friends and to those who don't know Jesus yet like we do. So I pray that right now you will help us to listen. I pray for myself and for everyone listening this morning, whether online or here at the church, Lord, I pray you'll help us to hear and to receive and live out your word. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Years and years ago, when I was working in mental health, and I've shared this story before, so I'm going to ask you to listen to it again. It's one of the most meaningful life events that ever happened in my life. As a young minister trying to help people who were dealing with mental health issues and thinking issues, I remember this young woman that I began to work with who would come to the clinic where I was at, and um, she was pimped off by her mother from the time she was two years old to satisfy the lust of men who used her, and they paid her mother in order to support her drug habit. So she grew up, that's all she had ever known. That's the only life she'd ever lived was a life of prostitution. She ended up having a lot of emotional problems and emotional issues and self-harm issues, and um, that's how I ended up coming to know Mary. Well, to make a long story short, after many times of meeting with Mary and finally one day telling Mary, saying, Mary, you need to know something. God really does love you. God cares about you. Mary, you are the most precious thing to him that you could ever begin to imagine. You could not begin to dream of how much God loves you. And Mary sat there in my office, and the tears were just flowing down her face. And she said to me, no one has ever told me that God loved me. 
I said, Mary, I know where you live. I know that there are people that go to that part of the town and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus on the streets. They're passing out tracts. She said, yes, but they've all told me I'm going to hell. They've all told me what a bad person they've all, I am. They've, they've just accused me of all kinds of things, but no one has ever told me God loved me. And I don't think a one of those people ever meant to come across that way to Mary. But sometimes we have sins that we categorize, and these sinners are worse than other sinners, and they're especially worse than ourselves, is the way we tend to think in our self-righteousness. And as I sat there with Mary, our mental health conversation turned to a really, really one-on-one exchange about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. This is Mary, your sin is no greater than my sin. And she wanted to know, what kind of sins have you done? And I said, well, Mary, I, I went from sandbox to sandbox searching for reality. You know, I've, I've never drank. I've never done drugs or anything like that. But I said, Mary, according to the Beatitudes, if I've ever had a lustful thought towards a woman, and I have, then I'm guilty of adultery. And I said, Mary, I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. She's my wife, and I love her. But I've had these awful thoughts from time to time. And I said, Mary... The Bible says if I hate anybody, then I'm guilty of murder. And I said, Mary, <clears throat> I can be honest with you and tell you there have been people I've hated. There have been people I've wanted to see <clears throat> harm come to because of what they've done to me. So the Lord says I'm just as guilty as anyone else is. And this kind of puzzled Mary the more we talked. And I said, but Mary, when I read the Beatitudes, what I see is not how bad I am. I see how good Jesus is. When I read the Beatitudes, I don't see how far I fall short of the glory of God. I see how God has brought me mercy and grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And he's forgiven all my sins. He's forgiven your sins. You just have to receive it. Mary was blubbering. I was crying. And I don't cry very easily. But I just want to tell you, Mary gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't long afterwards that Mary was gunned down on the streets of our city because she refused the advances of someone that had been one of her customers before. And as she told them about Jesus Christ from what I was told, they pulled out a gun and they killed her. It's not a fair world we live in. It's not a just world we live in. But we serve a great, big, loving, and just God. Bad things happen to good people. But in all of it, what we know is this, God is in control. And in all of it, like Joseph, those of us who've served the Lord for a while, we've, we've come to know by experience that even in a COVID world, God didn't send COVID, but in a COVID world, God is still working and God is working in all things for our good. We have this confidence. But what happens in our lives when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? And when I read a story like this one to you today, or when I gaze and I think upon what Christ did for me at Calvary, it brings me to the place where I confess who I am, and I confess who Jesus is. And that's what I wanted Mary to know, and that's what I want you to know this morning, is I know who I am. I am a sinner saved by, grace, by the grace of God. I know what I've done. I know what I've thought. I know how I lived. And I know that nothing that I've ever done in this life would help me, prepare me, or make me ready for heaven. The only thing that makes me ready for heaven is the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when people from time to time who haven't understood this have, 
have wanted to condemn us or condemn you or even condemn me. I remember one time I was preaching a funeral for another church <clears throat> for someone that they'd asked me to come preach the funeral for. And, and after the funeral, there was this man. I don't know why he did this, but he came up to me and he said, your wife and you both are going to hell. I said, pardon me? He says, you're both going to hell. And he began to tell me all the reasons why we were going to hell. Basically, we were not as good as he was. Basically, my hair was not the way it should be. Basically, she was wearing jewelry and makeup. And he had this long list of stuff. And he called me a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, I have to be honest with you, that didn't really move me very much. I felt more sorry for him than I did for myself. Now, if he'd have said that to my wife, you'd have had to pray for me. I'd have asked forgiveness for something else. But anyway, we had this conversation, and I came away from that realizing there are so many people that just don't realize how great the grace of God is. And don't ever let people condemn you if you've given your heart to Jesus. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Read that again. Am I God that I can punish you? You see, too often, Christians have been guilty of setting ourselves up as judges of other people rather than messengers of good news to other people. The good news that Jesus came to, to save us. The good news that Jesus came to forgive us. The good news that Jesus came to set us free. The good news that Jesus came to heal us. Sometimes I think it's good for us to stop our busyness in life, especially as followers of Jesus Christ, and once again get still in the presence of God and think about how amazing he is. And that's what makes the story of Joseph so precious to me. Be still and know that I am God. Look at that verse again. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we need the stillness of life. We need those quiet moments. I love those moments early in the morning when I get up and nobody else is awake in our house and my phone is not ringing or buzzing or texting or whatever the things my phone does. And I have those quiet moments. And when I'm there alone and I remind myself of who God is and who I am, and I get on my knees before him and lift my hands in worship, there's this supreme confidence. There's this sublime peace. There is a strength that flows in each and every day because I've learned not to trust in the righteousness of Dennis Clanton, but I've learned to trust in the goodness and the love and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Be still and know that I am God. You see, what Joseph's brothers were dealing with and what sometimes too many other people are dealing with is guilt. And I know there are a lot of people today that say that guilt shouldn't be a problem that we worry with anymore. But guilt is real, and guilt becomes my jailer. Guilt over my sins, guilt over my past, guilt over the things that I've done, it becomes my jailer. It, it locks me up. It keeps me from doing what God has called me to do. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Pastor, I couldn't come to church because if I did, the roof would fall in. This church is built a lot better than your sins are. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, Pastor, I, I can't answer God's call to ministry. And I, why can't you answer God's, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. And I say, well, look at the apostle Peter. When Peter was in the presence of Christ, he said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And that didn't run Jesus away. Your sins do not run Jesus away. My sins do not run Jesus away. He paid for those with his blood. 
And when we fail to recognize just how freely we've been forgiven, we become locked up, jailed up by our guilt. Look again at verse 15 with me from the story I just read you. Now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. What were they fearful of? That Joseph would take vengeance upon them. That Joseph maybe had been holding back until his dad died, and then he was going to let him have it. Joseph's brothers became fearful, and now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. Well, you need to understand something. God has no desire to pay you back for your sin. God has no desire to harm you or to hurt you. But God's desire is to bless us, to encourage us, to enrich us. God's desire is to do amazingly more for you than you've ever thought that God wanted to do for you. I can't begin to tell you the goodness and the grace of God, how that God took this man, saved him, healed him, put me on my feet, gave me the opportunity to do what I do today. But there was a time in my life when I felt like I had to earn the righteousness of God. I had to earn the blessings of God. I didn't understand how great and how amazing God's grace was. Look with me at the next part of the story. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. You see, they had never really, really accepted the forgiveness that Joseph offered them for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, your father, we beg you not to forgive. We beg you to forgive our sin. And sometimes I find people that are still living in the past, held captive by their sins, that when they gave their hearts to Jesus, Jesus washed them all away. What's the problem? The problem is guilt has learned behavior. You know, when you were a baby, you never felt guilty for screaming at your mama all the time to come feed you, to come change you. I watch the children in the nursery sometime. They'll take something away from another child. And if you ask that child, do you feel bad about that? No. There's this guilt is something we, <coughs> pardon me, we have to teach our children right from wrong. We have to teach them how to respect. We have to teach them how to obey. Because sometimes I have seen in the grocery store where it appears the parents are obeying the children more than the children are obeying the parents. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Of course we do. You see, because we teach our children it's why it's so important that we have our children in church and that we have family devotions with our family so we can also teach our children about the grace of God. But here's the second thing. What the babies don't realize in the nursery is that guilt is real. I mean, we do do right and wrong. We do suffer the consequences of right and wrong. And the guilt of our sin was so real, it's why God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Listen, we didn't send Christ to Calvary. Like we said last week, the nails of our sin, as Martin Luther said, we carry around, each of us carry around in our pockets the nails of the crucifixion because it was our sins that nailed Christ to the tree, but it was God who sent his son. Jesus, in the most famous verse of all, said, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent his son. God sent Jesus to that cross so that if you and I would believe in him. And then no one ever quotes verse 17, but to me it's the most beautiful passage of all. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So guilt is real, but guilt and God's forgiveness are two different things because God's forgiveness frees me, liberates me, 
does away with all of my guilt. Can you say amen? The Bible says in Psalms 32 in verse 5, listen, finally, it sounds like David was having a tough time admitting I'm a sinner. I have a friend. I love him. He's a good friend. But for the life of him, he cannot see why he needs a Savior. He cannot see why he needs forgiveness. <clears throat> we've talked about the Beatitudes, like I talked with Mary about. We've talked about many things. But at this point, and I anticipate the point when he's going to cross the line, but at this point, he cannot see his need for a Savior. So David was at a place like this. He says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. You say, it can't be that simple. How can just confessing my sins to God wipe away everything I've done, the things that I've done, the things that I've fought, the, the way I've fallen short of the glory of God? Or maybe you're thinking about other things as time to time people do. They think about people they betrayed or people they hurt or things that have happened in their life. They said, how can? And I've been asked this question so many times. It's because Jesus paid for it at Calvary. Jesus took our sins upon himself. Let me give you kind of a simple illustration. When I go out to lunch with somebody, I like to be the one that grabs the check. I like to be the one to pay the bill. I don't pay the bill because I'm trying to be blessed, and, and I know there is a blessing for doing that, but there's something kind and there's something rewarding about paying the bill for me. I, I love to do that. Recently, well, I say recently, just before the COVID virus started, a friend of mine invited me to Big Bear for lunch. And when we got to Big Bear, we had lunch, and I whispered to the server before I ever sat down, I whispered to the server, I said, be sure you bring me the check. And so they brought me the check, and this friend of mine is, works for another city. He works for another city in our community, and when, the, when it came time for the bill to come, the bill never came. And so I asked the server to bring me the check, and she says, the bill's already been paid. And I said, how? And my friend just lit up, and he says, I heard that you never allow anybody else to pay the bill. So I called ahead and gave him my credit card. The bill's been paid. Well, I got to tell you, that was a pretty cool moment. And I said to him, can I use this as a sermon illustration? I will preach this thing. And it was great because my bill had been paid. I ate the meal. I even had dessert. And I never eat dessert if somebody else is paying the bill because I was paying the bill. So I was going, and I had chocolate cake at Big Bear. And if you've been to Big Bear, you know what chocolate cake is at Big Bear. And because I was paying the bill, but he paid the bill for me. Jesus Christ paid the bill for you and I. Somebody say praise God this morning. But now, look at the next verse, but now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thank God. Secondly, this morning, my freedom increases as I draw nearer to God. And that's what I want to say to you, beloved, this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. Every single day, seek to draw nearer to the Lord. Every single day, get up and just say before you ever get out of the bed, Lord, I want to love you better today. I want to serve you better today. I want to know you better today. When Becky and I were much younger, we used to sing a song, I want to know you more, much more than I do. I want to love you more, much more than I do. I want to serve you more, much more than I do. 
I want to learn to seek your face and the knowledge of your grace. I want to love you, Lord. And even now, I can remember us singing that song together, and it was a prayer for our hearts. And I find myself singing that song to myself because my freedom increases the more I draw near to God. This morning on my way to church, Whitney Houston and I sang, Jesus loves me together. I sang back up for Whitney. And I got to tell you, I did a pretty good job in the car. I don't know what you would think about it, but I did a pretty good job in the car. I, I sing Jesus loves me every Sunday morning when I back out of the driveway. And if you're in the car with me, you got to help me sing it because I'm not going to start the car until you start helping me sing. And so we sing Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You say, Pastor, why do you and Whitney sing that song together this morning? Because the more I know the love of Jesus Christ, the more I I can love you, and the more I can love people like my friend who doesn't think he needs forgiveness, and the more I can love people like my friend Mary who's in heaven now. You see, the more I draw near to Jesus, the more conscious I become of his love. And I think that's what happened with Joseph. Listen to this next verse. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. When you and I are still trying to atone for our sins, do you realize how it must hurt the heart of God. When you and I refuse to accept what God has done for us and we think we've got to do more, we think somehow or another I've got to give more, I've got to pray more, I've got to read my Bible more, you should do all of those things. We should do all the things that the Beatitudes cause us to do. Again, grace doesn't mean we don't seek to do those things, but it's not those things that save us. We're saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason they call the song amazing. John captured this so much with this verse in John chapter 1 and verse 17. God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. It didn't come through my good works. It didn't come through your good works. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through him. In Psalms 103 and verse 3, this is one of my favorite passages. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. If you join us for Saturday night prayer, you know almost every single Saturday night somewhere I'm going to remind us of this passage. So what do we do? Look at Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Now notice what that says. Leave that verse up for just a moment. Let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You're not coming to a judgment bench. You're not coming before the judge of the universe. You're not coming to hear a guilty verdict. The imagery here that the writer of Hebrews is using is the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant. And the mercy seat was where the blood of the lambs that were sacrificed was put upon that mercy seat because God dealt with us in mercy. We're not coming to a judge. We're coming to a throne. We're coming to one who sits upon the throne. And John saw in the book of Revelation, he saw that the one that sits upon the throne looks like the Lamb of God which was slain from the universe. You're coming to the God who loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to save us. And there, what does he tell us? We will receive mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let me share with you one of my favorite poems because I think it illustrates how Christians and non-Christians sometimes look at God. 
Christians and Pagans. It was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer while he was in prison. And the poem is about, again, how people can look at God. But maybe what, if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the one, was the pastor that was put in prison and executed by Adolf Hitler because he would not stop preaching the amazing free grace of God. He did what he could to, to rescue Jewish people. He, he, he came to the United States and would not stay in the United States because of the segregation that we had in the United States. And he wanted his black friends and black brothers to go with him into restaurants. And so he ended up going back, knowing it would ultimately cost him his life. He went back to Germany, continued to serve as a pastor and a theologian, and was executed for his faith, but he wrote this poem while he was in prison. All to God in their distress, seek help and pray for bread and happiness. Deliverance from pain, guilt, and death, all do Christians and others. And what he's saying there is that there are people who treat God like a machine. They only go to God in their distress. And there's so many people that I've prayed with and talked with through the years that's the only time they go, when they're hurting. When they're, I have people that I know, friends that are atheists, that when they have a real problem, they'll say, will you pray for me? And I'm not being mean, but I, I say, I thought you didn't believe in God. And they say, well, I need whatever help I can get right now. God is like a machine. But Christians and pagans alike do that, he says. Then this next stanza, listen, all go to God in his distress, God's distress, all go to God in his distress, Find him poor, reviled, without shelter or bread. Watch him tormented by sin, weakness and death. And Christians stand by God in his agony. What's he saying there? That all go to God. And how you see the cross, how you see what Jesus did at Calvary, how you understand what Christ did for you makes all the difference in the world. Are you going to gaze it from afar are you going to accept what God did for you completely? Then the final phrase, God goes to all in their distress, satisfies body and soul with his bread, dies, crucified for all, Christians and others, and both alike forgiving. What's he saying? That what Jesus did at Calvary was enough for every man, woman, and child. You said, Pastor, are the people that are not Christians, are their sins forgiven? Yes, absolutely. The people who deny Christ, people like my friend who I've told him, he says, whether you believe in him or not, God has forgiven your sins, but you won't make it to heaven unless first you're reconciled with God. You, you have to accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You receive what he's done for you. My friend bought my dinner at Big Bear because he knew I wouldn't let him pay for my dinner. So he called ahead. I could have insisted, I guess, and said to the waitress, I said, I need you to bring me my check at least for my portion of the bill because I cannot accept this kindness. I could have been offended and say, look, I have enough money. I, I have my, my American Express card. I can pay for my own bill. I don't need your help. I could have been offended by it. But you would have said to me, what a fool you would have been to have hurt your friend. What a fool you would have been not to receive the gift. And I say to those who reject the free gift of God's amazing grace in Christ, how foolish is that? That God sent his son to die for our sins. So when life is not working, I know that God is. 
When life is not working the way it should, I know that God is. COVID is a terrible time. It's a horrible time. This week, I had someone call me. Unbelievably, they're just now having to preach their first funeral from the COVID crisis. And he called me. He says, can you help me? Can you walk me through on preparing? And I preached so many funerals during the COVID crisis. And Talked about pastoral care, loving the family, some of the things that the family deals with that families in our congregation have dealt with. They couldn't be together. They couldn't be with their loved one while they were dying. And even at the funeral, they sat scattered like we are in the sanctuary this morning. We walked through what this Bible has to say. But I said, above all, you have to remind them that even though it seems like life is not working out fair right now, God is still in control, and God is going to bring good. And of this friend, I ask, I said, is the person you're burying, were they a follower of Jesus Christ? He said, oh, yes, they love the Lord. I was their pastor. They love the Lord. I said, then I tell you this. As much as I love this life, as much as I love my wife and my children and grandchildren and my congregation, I want you to know the hope of the resurrection is mine. The hope of eternity is mine. I dare not hold on to the things of this world so much that I lose my love and my hope for heaven. Why is it that sometimes Christians live like unbelievers, clinging to this world when we have the hope of heaven? Let us not fear death. Let us not fear evil. For as God was with Joseph when he was betrayed by his brothers, when he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife, when he was in prison, God is still with you and I, and we shall overcome in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why Joseph could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for all good. You need to underline that in your outline this morning. You need to memorize that verse. Perhaps you need to say that several times to yourself this week. God intends to bring good out of this. And why? He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Do you remember what I said a few moments ago? How that God raised Joseph up and from Carthage and Ethiopia, Sudan, across the Sinai, Canaan, perhaps even from modern-day Turkey or perhaps even across the, the sea from Greece. People were coming to Rome, excuse me, coming to Egypt because Rome was not an empire at that time. So what we now call Asia and Africa and Europe would have been coming to Egypt. God raised Joseph up to save them. I don't mean this as a nationalist. I don't mean this as a patriot, patriotic thing. But I believe that in this COVID crisis, one of the things God has done is used our nation to bring hope and help to others when I read in the paper this week of how the COVID crisis is out of control in India, when Becky and I had to cancel our plans to go to Brazil this fall because of COVID crisis being out of control in Brazil, it reminds me once again how blessed, how affluent, but how blessed we really are in this country. And I know that we've got problems, but one of the reasons I believe this country is so blessed is because there are people here who love the Lord. I listened to Dr. Francis Collins, who was a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, as he gave God thanks and asked for Christians to give God thanks for the COVID vaccines that we're developing and how they're saving lives. 
I listened to him talk about the research and how the red tape was cut out of the way so that the research could be done. And I realized as Dr. Collins was speaking and he was unashamedly sharing his faith, he was unashamedly sharing his love for Jesus Christ and the amazing grace, sharing that this week in Nashville, Tennessee, as I listened to him share that, I realized that what he was doing to scare people and frighten people with all the conspiracy theories and everything else going on in our world today, he was saying, you can trust God. Friends, let us reflect the love of God to our neighbors this week. Let us do what Joseph did to his brothers and not bring judgment and not bring condemnation, but let us reflect the love of God. Joseph said to his brothers as they bowed before him, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. I'm out of time. There's so much more I would love to tell you about this today. But could I ask you this morning, give me the time to tell you one more story so you will know how real this is to me. It wasn't until I was in my 30s, it wasn't until I was a dad that I realized how amazing the grace and the love of Jesus Christ really is. You see, all my life, even as a young pastor, even working in mental health, all my life, I was doing my best to earn God's approval. I thought the harder I prayed, the more I preached, the more I witnessed, the more I gave, the more I did, it would make me somehow or another more acceptable to God. And it seemed like I could never come to that place where I felt fully and freely forgiven. Hell was a really big fear in my heart. Because when I read the Beatitudes, I saw how far I fell short of the glory of God. I knew I was saved. I knew that Jesus would keep me, but it was keeping me from understanding the grace of God. I, 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 didn't, I don't blame my parents. I don't blame the church I grew up in. It was the same mistake that so many other people make. We're trying to be good enough for God. You will never be good enough for the blood of Jesus Christ. And there was a song, and this really going back in time, maybe the only one in here that will know it will be Mike. When the archers were singing, it wouldn't be enough. I couldn't do enough. I couldn't pay enough to buy one splinter of the tree that Jesus died on for my salvation. And laying prostrate in an altar in a church in Atlanta, Georgia, God helped me to realize how deeply he loved me, how completely gone, according to the scriptures, in one swipe, my guilt, my sin, my shame, and death was done away with because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Doesn't grace amaze you this morning? Would you stand with me and let me pray with you before we go home? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that today you will just receive the adoration and the thanksgiving of a man, Lord, who's seen firsthand just how good you are. 
I pray that you'll receive my thanksgiving for the grace that you sow to self-righteous people like myself who think somehow or another I can add to what Christ has accomplished for me at Calvary. I thank you that Mary understood so much better than even I did, Lord, what it means to be loved and forgiven. And I pray for all who are listening this morning that they too will understand they are loved. They are loved by God in heaven above. And they are forgiven. But would you help those who, like my friend, for whatever the reason, sees no need for forgiveness, rejects Christ. Would you help them not to trot over the blood of Jesus? Would you help them not to trample the grace of God, but instead this morning invite you into their hearts? And would you help those of us who do know Jesus to realize we don't bring our friends to a judgment seat. We bring them to the throne of grace and mercy where they can find help in their time of need. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, let me talk to you for just a moment. If you've never, ever given your heart to Christ, or maybe like me, and I'll be frank with you, I grew very discouraged and at times thought of giving up because I didn't understand the grace of Christ. You see, you can be patted on the back. People can say kind things about you. And yet when you're alone and by yourself, there's still this naggingness. Am I really forgiven? Will I really see Jesus when I die? It's kind of like Jacob's brothers. They haven't accepted that Joseph forgave them. And you were forgiven this morning. So would you like a child at Christmas? Would you like me at the Big Bear? Would you receive what God has done for you? Because he has abundant life for you. Pray this prayer with me. You don't even have to use my words, but pray sincerely. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And this morning on April the 25th, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I don't understand it all, but I know that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. And I surrender my whole life to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I really want to help you. I won't fill up your inbox. I won't have anyone knocking on your door. But I really want to send you something to help you get started in your walk with Jesus. So would you email me at either at office at woodland.church. That's the quickest way. Or you can email me at pastor at woodland.church. 
I've got something I want to send you tomorrow to help you start in your new life with Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you were watching this morning. To those of you that are home watching today, would you please remember your tithes and your offerings today? You can give online at 77977 or at woodland.church. You can click give there. If you're our guest, please don't feel like you have to give. We're just glad that you're here this morning. But to all the rest of you, I'm asking you to remember your tithes and your offerings today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he make his face and his favor shine upon you. And may he make you prosperous and productive in everything you do. God bless you. God bless you this morning. Thanks for being here.